Welcome back to Crow and Fern's Guide to Weird Fiction, Folklore, Mythology, and Everything in Between, where I talk about folklore and mythology, and Crow talks about... Butt cheeks. She's been fixated on that word for like the past five minutes now. (laughs) 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 But today is my day, so we're doing actual mythology. And I I kind of tend to lean more towards folklore than I do mythology. For anyone who's confused about the difference between the two, folklore is like stories, interesting tales that get passed down, whereas mythology is based in religion. A lot of times we only use the word mythology for ancient religions, you know, that have died out, that are gone now, because it is pretty disrespectful to call someone's religion a mythology to their face, and I would not recommend that. Like, let's let's all be respectful of each other in the in this household. <laughs> I would recommend it, not because I want to disrespect them, but because I want to see people throwing hands. I want the drama. You got after what? me for being like in the Lady of the Dunes episode where I'm like, I'm a tell them, I'm a tell everyone, you know, we're here for and... <laughs> But here you are wanting to- Well, that's because they're, those are innocent fictional characters whom I love. Real people, debatable. I want to see hands being thrown. As long as we're just throwing hands, no one's taking it, you know, further than throwing hands. I would argue that if it's physical combat, then at that point it's too far. (laughs) (laughs) Fine. Fine. So this is actual mythology, which reaches into like old school religions that are now pretty much died out, but you know, told with respect. And we are going full Greek and Roman today. I don't get into the Greek and Roman stuff as much just because I feel like people already know that. But these are ones that I don't think we tell enough, or at least aspects of stories that we don't tell enough. Because I hear people reference some of these stories sometimes without knowing the full story, or they just have never heard of these particular ones. So we will get into exactly what I'm covering after the music. I wanted to cover today trans people in mythology. And I chose Greek and Roman because they were very clear. There were some really good stories that I wanted to cover, but I could have chosen other cultures and definitely found mythology there as well. And I want to be very clear about something. When we go into like Greek and Roman mythology in particular, I've heard some people try and glorify it and say like, oh, well, you know, they were so open-minded about different sexualities. It's really kind of awesome. You know, they were really open-minded people. And I always feel really icky about that because I don't think that's fair to say. First of all, the gods got away with things that ordinary people didn't, but there was definitely like homosexuality in the Greek and Roman world. But it But also they were, from what I've read, if I can say... Uh just from the knowledge of a person who doesn't have much knowledge on the matter. But from what I've read, it wasn't open-minded to the point where they were just all accepting of, you know, the LGBTQ community. It was more that 
how you presented it. Like, you know, if you were the person doing the snoo snoo, then it was fine. You know, you were accepted, you were considered normal, part of society. But if you were the person being snoo snooed, like, or as Tumblr would put it, the bottom, then, uh. you know, you might be looked down on. And I know it's not that simple, but it just shows you that there was some kind of prejudice, not the way that we, like, uh -huh. that we see prejudice nowadays, but there was still prejudice. So humans have always been assholes is, is what I'm trying to get at. There's definitely some truth to that. The, the Roman army got a little wild, though, and... and <laughs> Point to one army that did not get... I am <laughs> no, not but, convinced but that a single Roman army... army the Roman army outstrips them all. They, they No pun intended. <laughs> Actually, no, no, no. Let, me, let, me, let me finish this thought because okay, this sorry. is important. The men had greater acceptance than the women did in, in a lot of these things. Mm -hmm. Like if you were two men together, you faced a very different situation than two women together. And I also have a hard time applauding them for being open when there was so much rape involved, they were so casual about it. And I know like people are going to say, well, there were some strict laws against like non-consensual sex. But here's the thing. But that only applied if you had citizenship. And slavery was very much a thing, as was, and get ready for some seriously gross chills, child slavery. Some of the no. things that I have read about what happened are absolutely revolting. So I don't want to go and applaud them for being sexually, like, open-minded when there was such a culture of rape there. And mm. it was really, really disturbing. Like, the more you look into it, like, it's just, you don't want to applaud them <laughs> for, for their attitudes towards yeah. sex when it gets that dark. But I, the reason that I still want to go here and to show these stories is because... There has been such a tendency to straightwash mythology and folklore and to say like, oh, this is not something that occurred back in the day and it, it's really modern phenomenon and there's some sort of like agenda pushing it and all of a sudden everyone is gay because, I don't know, the frogs in the water or whatever, the gay agenda. This is bullshit. This is bullshit. And I, I want to highlight that... There have always been LGBTQ plus people in history, in mythology and folklore. This is not a new phenomenon. This is not an agenda. This is just how it has been. Human beings people that are. have existed. Yeah, yeah. And, and so yes. like, to say that it's new is a lie. <laughs> and disrespectful to say yes. that it is new. I agree. I agree. We don't want to invalidate other people's sexuality. You know, like we all have LGBTQ plus people that we love. Some of us are there in the rainbow, so to speak. And so I just want to make sure that people who are somewhere on the LGBTQ plus spectrum recognize that this is not abnormal. This is not something that is new. They've always had a place in humanity and we just need to be more accepting. That's that's my thing. And I wanted to especially get into trans mythology because I feel like I've seen some really, really ugly things directed towards trans people. And I want you to know that you're if you are trans, you're valid and you're loved. And if you have trans people in your life, be sure to show them love because it, it's been rough out there. Some of the stuff going around is just ugly and mean, and 
we need to show support to our trans friends and family throughout this time. So there's this YouTuber called um, Philosophy Tube, but they're basically a trans YouTuber in the UK. And they had a video about being trans in the UK and having to go to the NHS, you know, basically, which is like the public healthcare system in the UK for help during the process of transitioning. It was honestly one of the most heartbreaking videos that I have ever watched because I was always under this impression that if you live somewhere like the UK, then I don't want to say that things are easy, but I thought that things would be hard in the sense that there is prejudice outside of the medical field. And then when she talked about it and talked about the reality of experiencing the NHS as a trans person, it was actually horrifying. She said that you need to go to a GP and it takes a really long time for you to get an appointment with a GP anyway. And then once you attend your appointment with the GP, the GP gets to decide whether or not you're trans and whether or not to refer you to a gender clinic. And that was really disgusting to begin with because why is your doctor deciding your identity for you, number one? Mm -hmm. Number two, if your doctor is open-minded and refers you to a gender clinic, they are so quote-unquote overwhelmed or whatever by the number of appointments, even though that's currently bullshit. And if you watch the video, you'll see why it's bullshit but can take you 19 years to get your first appointment, 19 fucking years. And she was talking about basically all the lives that have been lost during that time, waiting for the first appointment. You know, it's not just hate from people on the street or friends and family, which is already really shitty to have to go through. It's the medical community. It's really horrifying. It really, really is. And a lot of people who are thinking about transitioning or kind of on the bubble or, or you know, partway there, they already struggle with so much like internalized transphobia or like gender dysmorphia or a lot of different things. So they're already struggling with themselves like internally and then with like how they perceive expectations like public expectations for them to be and and then to face that in addition from the medical community it's just really tough to think about you know people who have been with us for a little bit may remember that my brother passed away recently and was he basically took his life. I did an episode on that. I'm not going to really get into that too much here, but this this was an aspect of it. You know, trying to struggle against perceived he was supposed to be versus like what he wanted to be and what he wanted to see himself as. And by the way, the, he was still choosing to go by he, him pronouns so that I'm respecting what he said last time we talked. But yeah. th- this was part of it. and And so like when I see someone who is struggling and I see like the hate that comes out and the things that people say, it's really heartbreaking. Cause I know, I know, like I remember talking about it with him and how much he struggled and uh, the pain, you know? And, and so I really just wanted to do an episode to show that like anyone who tells you that this is atypical or that this is a new phenomenon or that this has never been the way and it's just now like some part part of some agenda that it's not true there have always been trans people in the human race always and if you're struggling with your identity and you're struggling to love yourself just know that you are valid that there are people around you that love you and 
If you need help, ask for help. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. You just need to find a community where people love and accept you. You know, that that's, that's the key, to find a place where you don't have to fight to be seen as normal, but, but you can just be you without having to justify it to anyone who's being a bigot. Yeah, exactly. Anyway... So one of the things that I wanted to cover first, because I think this is fascinating, is Prometheus. Everyone knows the story of Prometheus, right? Like the Titan god of fire who was like, well, let's take fire to the people and fire really meaning like technology, education, knowledge, you know, civilization, things like that. The fire is just really representative of bigger concepts. The part about this myth that never gets told, I think, is, you know, there's a part where he is helping to create humanity from clay. And as he's doing this, he goes out with his good buddy Dionysus, who is probably a deity that many people know, and they get shit-faced drunk. (laughs) They, you know, have a good, good old time partying, and he comes home drunk off his rocker, and he's like, I'm going to keep creating people <laughs> while, I, while I'm like just smashed. And as he's doing smashed. that, he puts the wrong genitalia on certain people. So as a result, some of the people he created felt like they were not at home in their own bodies or were attracted to, you know, the other gender as opposed to the one they were, quote unquote, supposed to be attracted to. And I just think it's interesting that there is such an acknowledgement of that within the mythology, and then sad that that often does not get told as part of the Prometheus myth. And I think it should be, because it's just further acknowledgement that this is part of who we are as human beings, you know? (laughs) Especially seeing as Prometheus in the Alien films was gay as fuck. I mean, he's the one that made out with himself, right? (laughs) He did not make out with himself. There were distinct personalities. They just looked like each other, you know? To be honest, there are equivalents to this in other mythologies. Like I said, I could have picked another type of mythology. I just felt like the Greeks were very, very clear about it. (laughs) And there were a couple of stories that I wanted to to tell. The next two that I want to get into are from Metamorphoses, which was written by Ovid a long, long, long time ago. You know, Metamorphosis is about transformation. And as a result, there are actually several different stories within this grand opus that deal with gender transformation. And the concepts behind it, I think, are really, really interesting. And so I want to start with one, which is the myth of Sinus. Now, Sinus, this story is kind of a story within a story because it's like everyone is fighting in a war and they break for, you know, the night and to rest. And as they do, one of the old, more experienced soldiers starts telling a story and everyone is fascinating. He's like, I used to know this warrior named Sinus and he was like really strong and amazing. And even more remarkably, when he was born, he was a woman and everyone was like, whoa, that's amazing. Tell me more. And this is the story, Sinus. I'm not going <laughs> to go into graphic detail because like the whole the whole story when you read it is just one of the most bizarre stories that you will ever read and, and most of it has nothing to do with Sinus himself. So, basically, 
as he's telling the story, he's like, there was this daughter of Elatus, and her name was Sinis, <laughs> as opposed to Sinus. Okay. okay, so female version Sinis. And she was mm-hmm. extremely beautiful, you know, super hot. And we all know that in the ancient Greek world, that was like a super dangerous thing to be. Like, you did not want to be. <laughs> a hot woman in ancient Greece or Rome because (laughs) their deities were like super horny, super horny and like just all very chill with rape. And unfortunately, that plays into this because Cenus is just, she's not, to be honest, she doesn't really seem very interested in getting into a relationship. She's kind of turned down some suitors. She's not really interested in anyone who wants to pursue her. I think she just wanted to like do her thing. Maybe she was asexual. Maybe the people who were pursuing her were just dipshits. I don't know. She wasn't into it though. And she really was just minding her own business. I think you know where this is going, but do you want to take a guess as to which deity this was that she got involved with? Oh, wonder, I wonder, could it be? Is it Zeus? I mean, Zeus is a frequent offender, but it's actually not Zeus. I would say that the one that is responsible for this is probably the second most common offender that I I see. A lot of them are really bad with this, but it's actually Poseidon. She's taking a little walk by the seaside, you know, like just a chill evening walking along the seashore, probably just, you know, thinking about her life, thinking about her day, maybe kicking off her shoes and walking in the sand, you know, harmless, you know, totally just like trying to enjoy her evening. And Poseidon is like, yeah, I need this woman right now. And he pops up out of the sea and he has his way with her. It is absolutely not consensual. In fact, she seems very, very traumatized by this. This, this is what always kills me about these mythologies is they fully recognize that when they do this to women, they are traumatized beyond belief. Like, just look at Medusa and how fucked up she was, not just physically, but emotionally and mentally, like what that did to her. You know, like she used to be like a warm and caring person. And then you see her transformed, not just physically, but emotionally and like the the pain and the rage and the anger that she goes through and so like you know that the ancients fully understood that when you rape women it really really messes them up like there's a huge emotional toll and yet there's still just a very chill attitude towards it in these stories like oh yeah you know Zeus did nothing wrong, Apollo did nothing wrong, or, you know, Poseidon did nothing wrong. And it's it's so, so, so frustrating. It's because the people who say that mm-hmm. are the same people who usually go, oh, well, you know, I miss the good old days where men, you know, who are like 40 or 50 used to marry 12-year-olds. And I'm like, no, no, the 12-year-olds were still traumatized. Absolutely. But like, you know, it, mm-hmm. it was still traumatizing. It was still horrible. It was still horrible back then. It mm-hmm. was just that no one could speak out, like the people who were being hurt couldn't speak out against it. And the same thing applies to these things. It's like rape was still bad, my guy. Mm -hmm. It was just that the people being oppressed didn't have the tools, didn't have like, you know, the law at their side. Not that we do nowadays, but like, you know, Mm -hmm. there's, (laughs) it's still problematic. 
is my absolutely point. absolutely 100 agree with that and you know there are some of the attitudes taken like i keep going back to medusa but for me she's one of the most compelling figures in mythology and i you just your heart goes out to her so much because she's punished for being raped you know that's it's just it boggles the mind like how how that could be the attitude and I don't think that when that was written, it was meant to be like, oh, Poseidon was a shithead who did these like horrible things. And look how much it affected this poor woman. It was like, well, clearly she did something wrong. If you get raped, it's your own fault and sucks to be you. And so the attitudes were really, really disturbing. And this is what I was talking about in the beginning, like, I, like the people who come up to me and like, oh, but the Greeks and Romans were so open minded about sex. And I'm like, I, I've never heard that from a woman. I only hear that from men, because I think if you're a woman, you don't feel like it's open minded when you, it's so obvious in the myths that if you're a woman, you're an object to the men in, you know, the stories. And you don't have the same rights and you don't have the same protections. And it just, it's, it's very frustrating. And, and poor Cenus here, she was absolutely traumatized. And, and Neptune is over there, like, he's just buzzing, you know, like he's, <laughs> he's thrilled with himself. He's very happy with how things went. And so he's like, you know, I had a great time. This was a lot of fun. So I'm going to let you have a wish, like whatever request you have from me. And then that's going to make it right. Like this never happened, you know, like the asshole. And Cenus is like, I never want to ever experience anything like this again. In order to make sure that never happens, I want you to turn me into a man so that nobody can ever hurt me like this again. And he does. He turns her into a man. And because he understands that wanting to be not vulnerable, wanting to be protected is part of what Cenus is asking for, he also makes her, like, she can't be harmed, like, you can't penetrate her skin, like, if she gets stabbed, it's not gonna do anything. Well, I guess I should be saying he now because this is Cenus now. And so there's an invulnerability there, kind of like Achilles, except for the hills are fine. <laughs> hmm. And so Sinus actually really enjoys the new experience of being a man. And he goes and he spends his time roaming around doing manly things, not really getting in any relationships, but, you know, involving himself in some of the, the wars that are going on and, you know, hunting and all of the, the manly man stuff. And he actually seems to be pretty happy for a long time. Until something happens and it starts with a wedding. Doesn't so, it all? Doesn't it always? Yeah, it's it's a wedding. I guess I understand it. He was related to the bride. Here's the thing. Okay, so as we get into this, this wedding portion of the story, there are roughly 5.5 million different characters in here. And unless you really know your Greek mythology, a lot of these names are just going to come out, out nowhere at you. And it's going to be like, you know what it's like? It's like if you have the entire cast of Game of Thrones, except for you're starting in the middle when they're, they've already reached like all of the characters at once and you haven't seen any of it before and you're supposed to keep track of who is who and who is killing who and why they're killing each other and what's going on. And it's just like, it's like the Red Wedding, except for okay. all the cast is there and it's directed by Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> 
Wow. <laughs> because. Sounds like my kind of wedding. <laughs> yes. And so I'm not going to try and get into like all of the different characters because it would take so much time to explain who is who and who is doing what and why they're doing what. And it's not really going to have any payoff because you'll have like random people show up for like two seconds only to either kill someone or be horrifically murdered. And I I don't need that and you don't need that. (laughs) I'm just going to go over the real basics of what's happening. So just picture like a really beautiful Greek wedding, like ancient Greek, not like modern Greek, but obviously. And everyone is having a good time. There are a bunch of guests, including some centaurs. They're invited and they're there and hanging out under some trees. And they're just watching as this wedding is progressing and everything is happening. And one of these centaurs is looking at the bride and is, is just like drunk and horny. He's just drunk and horny. He should have been a unicorn. He was that horny. You know, he just got out of control. He was out of control. And they were just being like drunk assholes, basically. The centaurs, I guess you don't want to invite centaurs to your wedding because they get drunk and then they're assholes. And so this one centaur, Eurydice, who was the wildest of the wild centaurs, was like inflamed with lust and envy. And he decides that it's a good idea to grab the bride by her arms and drag her off and it turns into like centaur group rape which you know like that kind of thing oh, is bad on. enough but just imagine just imagine with centaurs like ugh. ugh i know i know and so obviously people are furious everyone is chasing them down and as they're chasing them down they come across this group of centaurs and Of course, the idea is rescue the bride, which does happen, by the way, and fight the centaurs, fight the drunk, drunk centaurs. And this is where it turns into the Quentin Tarantino film. I don't know if you've ever seen Kill Bill, but you know how the violence just gets like so over the top that it just becomes a little bit ridiculous? (laughs) Yes. Yes, I do. (laughs) That's exactly what happens here and if this is ever made into a movie i can't picture anyone else directing it because you have people's eyes like popping out and getting stuck in their beards and like all sorts of like insane violence and people having one-liners about sending someone to tartarus except for ovid can't do one-liners because ovid cannot be concise to save his life and so they're one-liners that are supposed to be like cool little thing they say before they kill someone turns into a paragraph and you're like how did you get out a whole paragraph and the other person was just standing there waiting for you to kill them does no one fight back what (laughs) you know (laughs) if you're gonna have monologue the other person is gonna have a chance to fight back this is the premise of several movies (laughs) and several (laughs) good guys getting away because the bad guy can't stop monologuing and Ovid is like, no, no, I- I'm gonna let you monologue. It's like, it reminds me of that scene from The Incredibles where he's like, oh, you sly dog, you had me monologuing. <laughs> but apparently no one realizes that's ridiculous. Apparently they don't. Monologuing is a very important tool in storytelling, okay? I'm kidding. You know, It's used for needless, senseless exposition. <laughs> oh, oh my god. Um, sorry, Otto just tried to climb the 
<laughs> he's literally Mufasa-ing himself right now. He's hanging from the edge of the bookshelf, just like, Mother, help me. Do you need to go no, save yourself? No, I won't. Yourself? I'm not getting up. <laughs> no, no, fuck him. Like, you know what? He needs to learn. He will learn. <laughs> oh, poor Mufasa Otto. Yeah. Okay. So here's, here's the funny thing, though. No one really comes to a wedding armed, right? So they're using whatever is available to them. And so they're literally using all of the stuff meant for feasting to try and kill each other. So it's a food fight, but it's like a deadly food fight, like one where people are actually dying. So just imagine like someone's grabbing a punch bowl and going after you or like trying to like throw a platter to try and cut someone's head off or you know like just the craziest food fight that you could ever have but people actually die so it literally is red wedding except for nobody has swords or daggers they just have food and food implements you might literally they... have to fork your neighbor to death yeah i was gonna ask do they not have forks do they not use forks do they not use like you know those little table knives well you know i don't really know i'm wondering because i know a lot of cultures especially back in the day would just eat with their hands you know but you have to imagine maybe there's like a big leg of lamb or something and someone is like swigging that like a, like a mace do you think you could hit someone with a leg of lamb and, like, take them out? <laughs> you can't listen, children. <laughs> I've listened to enough true crime podcasts to tell you that if you hit someone hard enough with anything, you can kill them. Yeah. Anything. You know, if you put your heart and soul into it, I believe in you. Yeah. Hit that motherfucker with a leg of lamb so hard, send his eyeballs, I don't know, ricocheting in his skull. Do it. You know, that's not actually too far from one of the scenes, one of the things that happened. So, oh my God. Yeah, fair. <laughs> they were even using the smoking altar, which you think that would be holy to them. But no, they, that was one of the things that got pulled into the fight. Some people were like drunk and asleep and they got killed. I have to say, like it gets kind of homoerotic at some points <laughs> like, oh god and it's it's very interesting okay so one of the centaurs goes down right and someone starts mon monologuing listen to this listen to this monologue about this freaking centaur solaris beauty did not save your life if beauty is in any of your tribe your golden beard was in its early growth your golden hair came flowing to your shoulders in your bright face there was a pleasing glance the neck and shoulders and hands and breast and every aspect of his human form resembled those admired statues which our gifted artists carve even the shape of the fine horse beneath the human form was perfect too give him the head and neck of a full-blooded horse and he would seem a steed for castor for his back was shaped so comfortable to be sat upon and muscles swelled upon his arching chest. Does that not sound like... His back. To like, ride upon. To ride oh upon. Oh my lord. Crow. To ride upon. <laughs> yeah, to ride upon. Yeah, I've never seen that in fan fiction before. <laughs> what in the name of like... <laughs> this, and this is not the only scene where it was like, right this, upon. this is getting oh a little sexual God. in the middle of a very graphic battle, you know? <laughs> listen, listen, have you, have you never, like, gotten caught in the middle of a deadly battle and just noticed a really hot dude in the corner? The heart wants what, or the pee-pee <laughs> wants what the pee-pee wants. 
Maybe it's just because we don't have peepees, we don't get it, you know? We are the peasants here. I think the message the here is, is never underestimate the ancients' ability to just, like, want to fuck everything in every moment. It's not just the ancients. Have you gone on r slash men writing women? Oh, yeah, yeah. You will see shit like this on there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I'm glad to see that, you know, never change humanity. Never change. It's just interesting. It's just interesting priorities. I have to say, like, the way the ancient world saw things is often, like, so disturbing. It makes you sick, but at the same time, like, so extreme, it's, it's a little bit funny, too. This is a prime example of what I'm talking about with this. I studied a little bit of Latin. I stopped after a while because, oh man, was Rome fucked up. Like, Rome was, Rome had issues. Rome, whatever you think of Rome, just know, like, there's a dark side. There is a dark side that went really deep and really messed up, and we don't talk about it as often because it really does get very, very disturbing. And it was translate, because like when you have to translate something, you have to really stop and think about it. And something about Latin education, it's all about translating. After translating enough Latin script, I was like, these people were fucked up. And I'm done. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> yes. And the Aeneid played a big part of that, looking at you, Virgil. But it wasn't just him, to be fair. It was definitely not just him. Eventually, our hero, Sinus, enters the fight again. And this is the, the thing. Okay, so Sinus, he fights five of the centaurs and puts them to death. And as he's doing that, they become very transphobic and start hurtling insults at him and they are very very transphobic ones and it's things like shall i put up with one like you o sinus for you are still a woman in my sight have you forgot your birth or that disgrace by which you won reward at what a price you got the false resemblance to a man in other words like remember what how remember what poseidon did like this is why you're a man in the first place which is just horrible and I, I have to give Ovid credit here because he presents the centaurs and everything they're doing as absolutely horrific. This is one case where we're using non-human entity to represent behavior that is absolutely inhumane. And, and the language surrounding what these centaurs are doing is very clearly frowned upon. In other words, Ovid is kind of saying like, this is a shit thing to say. And he wants you to know that it's a shit thing to say. So he's it, using hyperbole to like... Ovid is of the mentality that don't say anything in a sentence or plainly, simply, that you couldn't say in a two-paragraph monologue. So all of it goes on and, you know, gets like extreme and examples are brought in and, you know, it's, it's to be like <laughs> intensely flowery language that kind of takes you out of the moment. But at the same time, like this is definitely showing you like these centaurs are being absolute assholes and they deserve it when Sinus strikes them down. You're not meant to sympathize okay. with anything that they do. And so I have to give Ova credit here. Like, whatever nonsense happens in other Greek and Roman mythology, at the very least, we have an author here who is saying, like, this is fucked up. Like, when, when people do this and act this way, this is not something that we should be proud of or, like, smiling upon in society. And I think when you look at it in a larger context, 
I'm sure there were people who did do this kind of stuff. And I'm sure that this is Ovid's response to those kind of people, putting things that he might have heard them say in the mouths of centaurs that will go around raping people and killing people and just like behaving in a way that is morally reprehensible. The thing is, I was going to say what the centaur said sounds like something you would hear a modern day transphobe say to be honest because Mm -hmm. the minute from what i've seen like you know i followed a bunch of trans youtubers especially the ones that you know talk about politics the minute someone cannot argue with them or like argue with Mm -hmm. facts or opinions whatever first insult they go for is oh well you know your gender is not valid your identity isn't valid this and that that's the first thing they go for and this is the first thing that this dude went for too He's like, oh, yeah, remember that you're still a woman and remember your trauma and what happened to you. Mm -hmm. So it's just. No, it's it's absolutely true. This is absolutely something that still gets thrown around and it's still very hurtful and very disgusting. And it's interesting that you bring that up because way back at the beginning when this fight was just turning from like, hey, let's get the bride back into like, hey, let's actually fight. One of the lines that Ovid sneaks in there is along the lines of, And this vile centaur having no good response to the accusations being hurled or no good reason for what they were doing immediately turned to violent. So the centaurs were the first ones to make it violent, basically. So the centaurs start realizing that, okay, this Sinus dude is someone we're going to have to deal with. So they start taking out their swords and attacking Sinus. And it doesn't work. You know, this is part of the gift that the quote unquote gift that Poseidon gave is that Sinus is now invulnerable. And so when they go to strike him with the swords, it doesn't do anything. Like it just kind of like glances off his, his skin, which is completely impenetrable. And once one of them does that, Sinus is like, now let me do the same thing to you. You know, strikes him and it's more effective when Sinus does it because they are not invulnerable. They, they do bleed. They do die. Okay. What they decide to do, the centaurs, because he's taking them out and they're like, well, what do we do? Because this one is a human we can't beat. And one of them is like, well, we may not be able to stab him, but we can bury him and there's nothing he can do about it. And so he grabs like a fallen tree and he tosses it on Sinus and the other centaurs are like, yeah, let's do this. And so they all start pulling up trees (laughs) and rocks and things like that and tossing them on Sinus because they can't penetrate the skin, basically. And Sinus is being buried under all of this debris and he is finding it hard to breathe because... The weight of everything they're throwing on him is is starting to crush him, right? And so it's dark again, and it's looking bad for Sinus. But the story is that Sinus is transformed one more time. This time, instead of being a human, he turns into a little bird. And the bird slips through everything that's being thrown at him and flies away. And he's saved in that way. That, to me, that part is what really made me want to tell this story because I do feel like this is what happens. Like, when you read about Sinus and the terrible things that are said to him in combat, like with people who disagree with him or don't want to acknowledge his masculinity 
or, you know, just want to be assholes and they dump so much shit on him. And I feel like this is a metaphor for what does happen with the trans people a lot of times is so much shit is just thrown at them can be suffocating. It can be overwhelming and can't blame anyone for feeling overcome. Yeah. And the ability to transform and fly away, to let those things like not affect you, to be impenetrable like Sinus was, is a sort of remarkable strength that I have seen in some trans people who face incredible discrimination. And it's, it's beautiful in a way and tragic that that's necessary in the first place. Let's be real. Transphobia is very real. It's very much a thing. And this is why, this is exactly why I wanted to make this episode because I feel like we, we need to do a better job of supporting the people who are going through things like that. It's difficult though, because I would think that, you know, I feel like it kind of goes with the whole idea that on a much smaller scale, if you're being bullied, then you need to find it in you and realize that the people who are bullying you are the ones that are wrong and it's not actually something wrong with you. And I, com- I like, completely understand that. Mm-hmm. And it's a really good idea for us to have those, th- those thoughts to make sure that we're not the ones in the wrong here. But it's really, really difficult at the same time because Mm -hmm. unfortunately, I don't know what it is psychologically, but when you keep having people around you repeat once and twice and like a hundred times telling you that you're disgusting or you're wrong and you know, you're confused, you don't know what you're saying, it can be really difficult to find the strength inside you to be like, am I in the right when there are all of these people who claim that they love me and are on my side and they're telling me that I'm wrong for thinking the way that I do, which isn't to say that those people are right. I'm saying that to fight against that when you're alone or when you feel alone can be really, Uh really, really difficult. And I applaud people who find the strength inside them and are just like, no matter what people say, you know, I believe in my own identity. I believe in what I am. But at the same time, I really feel for the ones who can't do that because people suck. The people around them suck is what I'm saying. I 100% agree with that. Like I said, I don't think it's fair that people have to find that ability to let everything glance off of them and to transform in a way that they can feel free because you know that for every person who reaches that stage where they feel free and comfortable in their own skin, there are other people who don't make it. And it's difficult because you can't just wave a wand and make transphobia disappear or any other kind of bigotry for that matter as much as we would like to and you can't force people to be more accepting you can encourage it you can find ways of trying to support the people who are struggling but the world we live in is the world we live in and somehow you have to find a way to be comfortable in it, you know, to be at peace in it. And I I remember one story that someone told me because we were talking about like getting through difficult periods in life. And I, I was talking about how like difficult it is, how difficult it is when everything feels like it's against you and you feel overwhelmed and like to just keep on moving with life and to be okay. They gave me this story about 
I can't even remember what it was, but it was like a place that was constantly hit by hurricanes. And, you know, like people had to really shelter down whenever the storms came in, whenever the sea was rising, and how difficult that could be, and how they had to find the ability that when the storm subsided to go out and live their lives again in the periods of calm. And I've thought a lot about that because it's true. You have to find ways to be strong and protect yourself in the times that are tough and when people are being awful or when life is hard, but still be able to open up and live your life and feel fulfilled and free when things have calmed down. I get that. I get what you're saying. You can't live in that storm mentality all the time or you miss the opportunity to live your life in in the calm moments and so like you have to find a way to be able to open up during the times when things are are better which is basically that we're not saying that the responsibility falls on the shoulders of the people who are being abused or oppressed or just treated badly it's it's merely one of the tools that you can use to stand in the face of bigots but I also understand that it is not something that's easy for people to do. And it's not blaming or shaming people who are unable to do it. Or who struggle, right? I have tremendous or who struggle for the people who, who still struggle. Like, it's not, the world should not be this way. And I think it is our responsibility to step up and try and help where we can and to show support for the people that we see struggling. And hopefully, exactly. hopefully in time, the world will be better. But in the meantime, we still have to find ways to live in the world that exists. Exactly. And one more story real quick, and this one is not as tragic. (laughs) Uh, Yay! Yeah, this is the story of, and I this up, and there were multiple ways to pronounce this, Iphis and Iante. The story really starts with their parents and... What's basically happened here is you have like this respectable farmer and his wife, and they're not by any means rich. They don't have a lot of money, but you know, they're married and they're living their lives and the woman becomes pregnant. This is another (laughs) one of the ones where I'm like, ancient world was brutal. The husband comes up to her and he's like, I'm ask heaven that your delivery is not painful and that your child is a boy. Basically, he says, if it's a girl and you have a girl, you need to kill her because we can't, we, we just don't have the resources to raise a girl. We need, we need a boy. We bought too many blue colored sets of pajamas. Yeah, and they try and portray it as like, well, he's crying as he says it and he doesn't see any means, but let's not gloss over the fact that he's just like, we need to kill our baby if it's a girl. You know, like that. That's horrible, but at the same time, it is a real thing that we saw happening, and we don't want to gloss over the fact that this did happen because we need to talk about history to make sure it does not happen again. And so this is like a really horrifying thing, and I'm like, just because you're crying doesn't mean I have any sympathy for you, dude. Like, you're still asking your wife to murder your baby. Like, no. By the way, this story is set in Crete. Yes. (laughs) I forgot to mention that. Yes. Though the woman is like getting close to having her baby and she has a dream. And in her dream, Isis comes to her and is like, listen to me, woman. Your husband is cray cray. You don't need to kill your baby. Whether it's a boy or a girl, I've got your back. Don't kill your baby. I will protect you. 
And you might be like, what is Isis doing in a Greek myth? Well, first of all, Isis did spread over to Greek mythology. These deities, you know, they kind of refer to them sometimes as the cults of like certain deities. And Isis was one that reached into Greek mythology, especially like if you look at Crete, kind of think of it as like a Greek place. But you look at it on a map, it's below Greece, but also like directly above Egypt as well. And so it's not hard to understand how some of these Egyptian mythological characters reached into Greek mythology. Okay. It is a little wild though, because you see like Isis and Osiris mentioned along with other more common Greek deities. And you're like, well, this is a little kind of, it's, it's fun. <laughs> it's exciting. Um, so, so anyway, the woman, <laughs> the woman is like, Okay, this is what she wanted anyway. She she really did not want to kill her baby. And so when she had her baby and it turned out to be a, a girl, she was like, Isis has my back. I'm not killing my baby. And instead, I'm just going to tell my husband that I had a boy. And the husband was like, yes, we had a boy. I'm going to call it Iphis. And Iphis is a gender neutral name in Greece. And so that worked. That worked for them. And the wife was very happy. And Iphis grew up basically dressed as a boy and presented as masculine. And the only people who knew that Iphis was in fact female were her mother and a very trusted nurse. And so Iphis gets older, right, and reaches marrying age. And at that point, it's time to arrange a wedding. You know, the ancients like to marry their kids off, right? <laughs> and so the father is like, well, let me arrange the marriage here between Iphis and Iante, this other girl who was like about the same age, you know, and these two, Iphis and Iante, had actually grown up together. So they knew each other really, really well. And Iphis and Iante were in love. But the difficulty here is Iphis knew <laughs> that she was actually a woman, and Iante didn't. So Iante was in love with Iphis and wanted to marry them, but had no idea that, you know, come the wedding night, there was going to be a little bit of a surprise. And so things were getting a little dicey, because what do you do at that point? Like, they're, they're in love, they want to be together. But there was going to be a problem on the wedding night. And no one was really sure how, how to deal with that. None of the, the people who actually knew. And so the mom was like putting off the wedding, trying to delay it. You know, like she pretended to be sick once. And another time was like, oh, I, I have seen all of these bad omens. And people were like, how bad were these omens? And she was like, real, real bad omens. Like we have to push the wedding back or it's going to be like a bad situation. And it got to the point where they just couldn't delay it any longer. You know, like the wedding had to happen or it had to be called off. And if this was absolutely in love with with Yante, wanted to be with her, but didn't know what to do. Yante was like, we really just need this wedding to happen. Like, the wedding is getting delayed to the man I love, and I really want this to happen. And so she, <laughs> she prays, okay, let's all be mature about this. This is going to be one of those things. <laughs> she prays to the god Hymen. <laughs> okay. Hymen was- Not going to comment on that. I- <laughs> Hymen was the Greek god of marriage. You know, the more you say it. <laughs> and Hymen 
is who people would pray okay. to <laughs> to help them get married. My Lord. I'm not going to comment on how that became like the word that we <laughs> use today for what we use it for. Meanwhile, Iphis is over there like, what the fuck do I do? What the fuck do I do? What the fuck do I do? And one of the most remarkable things about this myth is Iphis's self-dialogue, right? And Iphis really get taken into her mind. She actually starts praying to Isis and she's like, help me. I don't know what to do. And she starts going on. It's really sad, actually, when you read her prayer, but she's basically like, how am I a woman tortured with love for another woman? And in nature, you don't see mare going for a mare or a cow going for a cow. It's, it's always like a male and female, but I am in love with a woman. And she really is self-doubting and she's negative to herself. You see her trying to push herself to try and be what she perceives as normal and socially acceptable and really is down on herself because she sees herself as unnatural. And by the way, this is not correct. This is a fallacy. The idea that nature is always straight is not correct. We have plenty <laughs> Plenty of examples nowadays, now that, you know, people have video phones all over the place and we have had better chances to observe nature, we know that it's not always that simple. Like, there are not straight relationships within animals that have been well documented, and not just in zoos, but out in nature as well. In fact, there's a meme that I've seen go around that was pretty amazing where I can't remember where in Africa it was, but people had observed like two male lions uh, going at it. And I can't remember who it was in the government, but they were trying to say like, oh, well, this is obviously not natural behavior. They learned it from gay tourists. Someone responded with like, I have to commend the gay tourists that were brave enough to like have sex in front of lions. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, that's not what happened. You know, yeah, we exactly. know now. We know now. This is not true. But I think at the time, no one had video phones and no one was really wanting to stick around and watch lions do their thing because let's be real, lions are scary. <laughs> exactly. Just, just snoo snoo mm -hmm. without us knowing. Yeah. And so it is actually really heartbreaking to read Iphis's prayer because you can see, like, they're just things that I can really imagine a very real person, like trans person saying to themselves and beating themselves up and, you know, things that they're similar to things that I know my brother said because it was like he wanted to just, quote unquote, be normal. And that this is really what Iphis is asking for. And it's heartbreaking because you see the internalized transphobia and you see like the pain and the suffering and, and the struggle. And it's, it's surprising yeah. to see that level of insight in an absolute ancient myth. But it was there. 
and really feel like you're reading someone like a modern perspective on things to a degree. Obviously, not completely. There are moments where you're like, oh, yeah, this is this is ancient. But a lot of the sentiments are still things that I have heard and seen expressed by trans people who are struggling. Okay. And so the mother at this point is like, we need to do something. We need to intervene. And so they go together and they go to pray to Isis. Because remember, Isis has promised the mother that she will protect them and take care of them. And so they go and they beg Isis for help. They ask for her to intervene and help with the situation because at that point they don't know what else to do. They're very cheerful prayers, very heartfelt prayers, and Isis is moved. Isis hears the prayer, and she causes the temple that they're praying in to shake. And as this is going on, Iphis is transformed into the form that Iphis always wanted to be, to be honest, which is male. She becomes he. The face becomes more masculine, strength is greater, the feature is more stern, the long hair becomes short. So I, I feel like that one they could have handled on their own. But regardless, the transformation was complete. Iphis was now a man. The two rejoice, they make offerings to Isis. Then the wedding goes forward, and Iphis and Yante live happily ever after. They have a beautiful life together. There's no huge bloodshed. There's no shaming. There's just a happily ever after. And I love that. And like, I'm conflicted about this story because on one hand, there's like the transgender aspect, which is, you know, wanting to accept their true identity. The other aspect is the internalized homophobia, which is like, you can be a woman and fall for another woman. But in their case, they were like, oh, you know, that would not exist in nature. So... Mm-hmm. I wish I was a dude so that I could fall in love with this person because it's impossible for a woman to fall in love with yeah, another no, there, woman. So there I'm was conflicted. Internalized homophobia there. And this this is one of the things about this that I I thought was powerful. I don't want to say that I loved, but I thought was powerful because like I said the things that Iphis was saying to herself when she was a she were things that I've absolutely heard before. It is sad to see that level of internalized homophobia and the expectation that she had to change her gender to be who she was. And and this is where things are a little dicey because, like, did she see herself as masculine and want to be masculine? Or did she just have so much internalized homophobia that she felt like she had to be masculine in order to be okay? And that, that is questionable. That is questionable. In my headcanon, the way that I think about this, like, obviously, there is no such thing as a magic deity that can boop you with the gender-changing wand and make you whatever gender you want to be. You know, there's surgeries nowadays, but you can't just magically transform. And so I think if you were to think about this as like real people, what would have happened, what would have had to have happened, and is, you know, like instead of some sort of magic gender transformation, if it's learned to be easier on himself and to accept himself as a man, you know, to to stop questioning his validity as a man. And his chosen partner did the same. Because obviously, when you're in a couple, there's there's two. So Yante would have as well had to have accepted Iphis. Yeah. Any other thoughts? No, I'm just agreeing with you. I think I, I got it out of my system. 
Okay. I got the thoughts out of my system. Okay. Your face. Did you say your face? I did. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, your face. <laughs> you just have to sneak it in there. <laughs> Anyway, I think my final thoughts on this are just that, like, let's stop this mythology that trans people are new to the world and this is some sort of agenda and this is the first time this is happening in humanity. Like, it's not. It's not. There has always been people who felt like they were born in the wrong body and who had struggles and they're valid as they are. We don't need to question that. We don't need to be assholes and make them feel bad about it. Let's try to be more supportive of the trans people in our lives and understand that sometimes the struggles they go through are very, very intense because the way that society treats them is often not okay. And if you are struggling, just again, know there are people who love you and you are valid as you are. And I'm going to put a link to the Trevor Project in the show notes because I think that's one that has actually helped a lot of people. It is resources for LGBTQ plus people who are struggling with their mental health and need support. And with it, you can use it to like chat or call or talk to other people about what you're going through to get help if you need help. Or, you know, if you just want to be an ally, you can also donate to that to make sure that those resources are available to the people who need them. Exactly. And also another point is that transphobes have been using the same lines for <laughs> hundreds is it, of thousands isn't that of crazy? years. Like some of the stuff that you it's see, like, like it's you could rip it straight off of Twitter. Like the exact same sentiments. You could find them Yeah, I know. Out in the wild today, no problem. They haven't updated <laughs> the way they behave. It's it's insane. Nope. Yeah. Same lines. Can't even be original. <laughs> they haven't updated their lines. <laughs> they haven't. The new transphobic comment pack just dropped. <laughs> Except it, ha it dropped thousands of years ago, and there's never been a patch or an update. <laughs> Ex nothing ever. Again, just show the trans people in your life some love. They just need it. Just show them love. Show them support. It's, it's hard on people to have to face all of that from society. It's not fair. It's not right. But we can make a difference for the individuals that we know. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I support that sentiment. Yeah, you can't wave a wand and make it disappear, but you can be there. Listen, cool. let me put it this way. Now that Fern is done talking to us about her point of view, I'm going to insert mine. Good. This is an example that took me an hour and a half to think of because we've been recording for an hour and a half. <laughs> Basically, no, when you literally when you apply it to absolutely anything, whether you're neurodiverse, whether you're LGBTQ, whether you're a person of color, you hear a lot of shit, you know? You hear things from people who are ignorant, you hear things from people who are intentionally bigoted, and it hurts. But on from, like, my personal experience, what makes me feel better is knowing that there are people in my life who love and care for me, right? But here's the trick. If you are one of those people who supports someone who is not part of the... What was the word for it? I forgot the word for it. 
Oh, the majority, right. <laughs> the majority. <laughs> you need to tell people in your life who are minorities that you love them and you care for them from time to time. I know it sounds mushy and it makes you feel uncomfortable to think about telling your friends that you love and care for them. But it helps because I know sometimes you think that those people just know it deep down. But when you hear something bigoted or horrible that makes you feel like a freak, it helps to remember someone actually holding your face and telling you, I love you for who you are. You're not weird. You're not a freak. Your thoughts are valid. Your identity is valid, right? Yes. So grab the people in your life whose identities don't fit into the majority, this is my reminder to you and tell them that you love them or, you know, whatever mixture of words that you need to tell them to make them feel valued. And they will hold on to those words when they think of the shitty things that people who are pieces of shit say to them. Right. That's my contribution. I love that contribution. That's a great contribution. But I think one of the, the big differences between the story of Sinus and Iphis is Sinus you really feel like he was out there on his own. He transformed into a man and then just had to go at the world by himself in a lot of ways. And so when people were piling on him, it feels like he was on his own and, and you feel terrible for him for that. Whereas Iphis, Iphis had a very loving, kind, supportive mother who was there for him and who would go with him and try and validate him and try and help him. And the story of Iphis has a happier ending. And so you absolutely have the power to make a difference in someone's life. And you should. Exactly. Yes. You may not have the ability to rescue someone from the way that they feel, you know, from the internalized homophobia or transphobia or the self-doubts or the depression and anxiety. Mental health can be a difficult battle, but it can make a difference. But if you don't manage to reach someone, you want to at least know that you tried. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and end it there. Do look into the Trevor Project. Donate if you can. It's a really good thing. I've heard a lot of people say that it's helped them. And we're all about supporting people's mental health. Crow, where can that they is find true. us? So if you enjoyed this episode, then feel free to give us a follow because we're available on Spotify, Amazon Music, episode, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you really enjoyed this episode, feel free to leave us a review because we would love to hear what you think. Also, we're available on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, TikTok, and maybe YouTube soon enough. And we also have an email if you want to tell us about the weird happenings in your life. But until then, this is Crow and... This is Fern. Signing off. Bye.